Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. What happens with this when you do this and it sends it as an image, not as an actual link? I can oh, click. This I don't happens know. sometimes. Why does that happen? I think it's because I'm like sending it from Microsoft Word, which I still use for some reason. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the LeBron James, pretending to be good at activism, to tweeting positive things about Deshaun Watson, who did lots of bad things. It's Adam Momawala. Adam, how's it going? <laughs> should 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 we should we tell him? I think. Do you think he Does might he know? know? Does he know? I don't Does know he if know? he knows. <laughs> for anyone who is unaware. Congrats to you because you don't follow football closely. Uh, what happened is LeBron James, who roots for the Cleveland Browns football team now, he said some sort of congratulatory tweet to Deshaun Watson for, you know, getting back into the swing of things. He said something about like, oh, he's, you know, he's finding his groove again or whatever, because Deshaun Watson was suspended for half a season for being accused of sexual assault by 22 women. Wasn't it more? And a lot like of people. 44 and then like yeah. a bunch backed out uh, an, an absurdly high amount of women accused him of, you know, sexual assault type things when he was getting massages, really bad stuff, awful, awful stuff. And LeBron made a tweet saying like, oh, look, he's getting his groove again. Hey, LeBron, uh, why wasn't he playing for the past half of a season? Yeah, he's not coming back from an injury. No, it is not an injury. What makes it especially worse is that LeBron James used to root for the Dallas Cowboys and he made a big stance of saying that he refuses to root for them anymore for moral reasons because I think initially they weren't letting people kneel, but then they eventually did. Regardless, he made some big thing of it. He hates Jerry Jones, as has come up multiple times and even this season. Well, in fairness, there there was a photo of Jerry Jones that surfaced where it was Jerry Jones like standing mm -hmm. on the wrong side of a school being integrated, which is a a very bad look. Let's call it what it is. Right. Um, but it does just feel like LeBron is being awfully inconsistent. Yeah, it feels awfully inconsistent. And it just is. It's just weird. I don't understand how no one tells him not to do that or how he still hasn't deleted the tweet yet. And it's just sad because LeBron does do some legitimately good things. He mm -hmm. opened the school. He's an advocate for racial issues in the U.S. And he does other things with either philanthropy or activism. He does some good stuff. But when you do stuff like this, where you're clearly just like, ah, oh, women, pff, who needs them? It just makes anything good he does look fake and for show and not genuine or like he's only considering specific subsets of people like yeah doing a great job of supporting black men in america but not really supporting women definitely not supporting jewish folks when his personal friend kyrie irving was being super anti-semitic and lebron was like hey how come everyone's always acting me about kyrie but not other stuff the other thing that really sucked is like nobody asked lebron about this like this came out on january 3rd and no one has asked lebron about this it's wild. Yeah, I think unfortunately for certain reporters, they're like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers because then LeBron won't give me the inside scoop on a question that I want to ask him or he won't take my question at a press conference. And that's frankly not really a way to be a journalist, but it seems like that's what happens often. Yeah, it's disappointing. But we can get into more fun basketball things for the rest of this episode. And let's get prepared to do those in the Teal Memorial locker room. Teal, doing great. New year, new Teal. If Teal's doing New Year's resolutions, they're going well. Or if Teal's not doing them, Teal's just, you know, 
having a, a, a normal year and realizing who cares if it's a new number on the date. I don't even know that we need a new teal, but if that's what teal wants, that is totally fine. <laughs> exactly. You know what we do have in the form of something that is new and that we do want, though? I'll tell you what we have. We have a new producer-level patron. Yes, we do have a new producer-level patron. So shout out to Alex Lowe, who is now being referred to, a huge callback to a far old episode of Horse, Chase Underulo. When we made a Jason Derulo joke, I don't remember the context, I just remember making the joke. I do. It was a friend of mine from college who for years in Jason Derulo songs, when Jason, uh, of course, sings his own name, <sighs> Jason Derulo, was very confused because why would Jason Derulo be singing about Chase Underulo in a song? <laughs> and I was like, how, how did you, how is it possible <laughs> that you did not put two and two together? So we do have a Chase Underulo reference, which is, uh, I believe, from one of, if not my very first episode. Yeah, I think it might be the title of an episode. I think so. Incredible stuff. What a callback. Fantastic. The message from Alex said, for my patron name, I'm going with a horse hoops deep cut and would like to be known as Chase Underulo, hearkening back to the introduction of Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls and because roast beef debris was already taken. Thanks so much for the great show. So thank you, Alex. And from now on, thank you, Chase. Chase Underulo. But also thank you to our existing producer-level patrons, Polly Burridge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells She Oh no, I messed it up again. He sells seashells, don't go chasing taco balls. Bang, bang, roast beef debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball's Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Borgeli, Weird Questions, Steph Back Curry for three. Bang! <laughs> Lobster Bisquay, Hi Trish, Ginger Spurs Boy, Nicole Arsenal, Something Mean About the Knicks, Stubby Boardman Gets Paid, and now Chase Underulo. Well, Steph is back. That was uh, what I was trying to honor with Steph back. Steph Curry returned last night as we record this on Wednesday, January 11th. I think that's right. That is correct. You've done it. And yes, yeah, Steph back, step back. It works on multiple levels. I love it. Well done. Now, we also have something that is always good and always welcome to have on these episodes. Any idea what you think that might be? I have a hunch it's a sponsor. It is a sponsor, and it's a sponsor that does good stuff. It's Tab for a Cause. Now, we've had it well established that Adam is a tab monster. My wife, mm -hmm. Kelly, is a tab monster. I'm not a tab monster in that I leave tabs open, but I do open many over the course of the day. So if you're any sort of tab monster like us, you should go to tabforacause.org slash horse and get Tab for a Cause, because every time you open a tab, you'll raise money for charity. What is not to love? You go to tabforacause.org slash horse, T-A-B-F-O. ACAUSE.org slash horse. You sign up, just a couple of clicks, add the extension to your browser, and boom, every time you open a tab, you get a really pretty picture of some sort of nature based background. You can add little widgets and stuff. You'll see some tiny little ads in the corner, but those ads are what raise money for charity. And then you get to pick what charity the funds go to. It's good stuff. It's super easy. And it's available at tab4acause.org slash horse. All right. As always, when we do this ad read, honor system, how many tabs you got right now? I have seven. But they are all for this recording. <laughs> I have 17. <laughs> I have 17. Uh, five are for this recording. I, I really have no excuse. Oh, incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Speaking of incredible stuff, you got anything coming up on the horizon? Some shows? Some fun stuff? You got a new video on your YouTube channel from a fun little set that I got to watch. Yes. Thank you so much for asking. I never really plug my YouTube channel, but uh, if you want to follow me over on YouTube, it is Mama Walla Comedy. It is shockingly difficult to change your YouTube name. I could not figure out how to change it without like losing the following that I have. You might know this because you were you were pretty big on YouTube for a while. You can now have a handle. Oh, right, right, so right. So you can do that. And all that basically does is make it youtube.com slash at symbol and mm. then whatever you want it. And then I think you can change your display name. So it might still be Mama Walla Comedy is like your official account name. But mm -hmm. I think much like on Twitter where you can have a display name and then also a handle. Ah. So you should be okay in that department. But thankfully with YouTube, if you just Google Adam Amawala, you would show up. Yeah. There's not too many of you out there. <laughs> exactly. So I'm not I'm not hard to find on YouTube. But uh, yeah, that's where I sometimes put up longer sets because uh, all anyone wants to see anymore is 20 second crowd work clips, apparently. But, uh, you know, that's not really what I'm known for. So sometimes I got to put the longer stuff on there. But as far as tour dates are concerned, I think I already mentioned that week that I'm going to be in Colorado in March. So come check out some of those shows. I'm going to be in Vegas in April, I'm going to set up some shows out there. Uh, if anyone happens to be in the Hamptons, if you're if you're really rich Whoa. and you're in Sag Harbor, I'll be out there in February. 
Um, and then I'm in the process of setting other stuff up as well. But that's pretty much uh, pretty much all I got. What about you? Well, if you are one of those Hampton listeners, can I direct you to patreon.com slash horse hoops? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the minimum contribution is $1,000 an episode. We will be opening a new tier called I'm a listener from the Hamptons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you for asking. I do have the San Francisco show that I mentioned, February 23rd. Cool. I did just add a San Diego show, both Potterless and the News Olympian, for February 20th. I'm trying to add a Los Angeles show in between, but haven't had confirmation on that yet. And then also not confirmed, but hopefully will be confirmed soon, that DC show that had to get rescheduled, I think is going to be on February 5th. Cool. So if you want tickets to those, you can either go to potterlesspodcast.com slash live or thenewsolympian.com slash live. I put it on both. Great. But with that settled, now we can get into NBQ&A. What's the question for this episode, Adam? The question for this episode actually comes from our newest patron, Alex, aka Chase Underulo. And the question is as follows. Hi, guys. Watching the Celtics-Mavericks game tonight got me thinking, what determines whether a free throw shot has players from both teams around the basket or if the free thrower stands there alone? Thanks. All right. Great question. And we love these. This is like some of our favorite stuff to answer is things that when you are a lifelong basketball fan, you just inherently know because you've seen it for so long. But if not, you'd be like, why is that happening? That makes no sense. The simplest answer is that if it is a technical free throw, then no one is around. And technical free throws can happen after a couple of different things happen in the game, most notably a technical foul, which is given to a team, either if a player or a coach or the bench does something like argue with the referee or delay of game where if you hit the ball away from the other team after it's already been scored stuff like that that would result in a technical foul you get a free throw for a technical free throw you shoot it there's no one around there's no chance of rebounding it if it's a miss and if you make it you get the point so this could also happen after a flagrant foul which is if someone does a really aggressive foul that feels unsportsmanlike this also happens if you do defensive three in the key which is Mm -hmm. if you're in the painted rectangular area underneath the basket for three seconds without leaving or guarding another player as if they're doing a post move or something, then you have violated the rules. The offensive team gets to shoot a free throw and then come back. So yeah, regular foul, people are around, technical free throw of sorts, then no one's around. Also to reduce the pressure and make it easier for them because you've done a major infraction. <laughs> Basically, the the point of it is if there is no opportunity for the other team to rebound or for anyone to rebound, that is when you'll see that. So it's on any technical foul. Right. It's on a flagrant foul. We've now seen it more because there is the take foul rule, which means that if you foul someone as they're about to go on a fast break in the interest of not slowing down the game, which I think has been a great rule, by the way. It's been huge. It's something they've instituted this year. But basically, the, the best way to explain it, and I'm sure we talked about it on an earlier episode of Horse, is that if someone's about to run down the court, it used to be that someone could just grab you 70 feet away from the basket And then if you had a foul to give, meaning your team wasn't over the foul limit, it would just kind of reset and they would take the ball in from out of bounds. But it's a huge disadvantage for the team that was about to presumably have an easy basket. And it also just slows the game down and makes it less fun to watch. The only other situation that we did not cover is if you get fouled when time has expired then you stand at the free throw line by Ah. yourself. Because again, there's no point in having someone to rebound because there is no time. So for example, if you shoot as time expires and you get fouled on that shot and there's no time remaining on the clock, then you get to stand there on your own and shoot. This also creates really stressful situations, kind of like a penalty kick in soccer where you are just on an island out there The game is basically over as soon as you're done shooting the free throws, but you get a chance to either win the game, lose the game, tie the game, whatever the situation may be. But it's pretty fun when that happens. It doesn't happen a whole lot. But for example, in a game that the league admitted, I'm still salty about it, the (laughs) league admitted that the Bulls should have had a foul called on the other team. They were down by one point against the Cavaliers. DeMar DeRozan shot as time expired. He got fouled. They didn't call it. But if he had gotten that foul called on the Cavs, he would have gone to the line completely by himself to shoot two free throws with the Bulls being down one. And all of the pressure would have been on him uh, even more than usual because he would have been just standing there all alone. NBQ&A asked and answered. Now we can get into full court press. Get it like the news? Yes, I do. And let's do it. Let's do it. So there was some interesting stuff happening in the past two weeks of the NBA. We're recording this on January 11th. First thing that I think is just kind of funny, the Miami Heat Arena as of today, January 11th, will no longer be referred to as the FTX Arena. FTX, if you don't know, I envy you 
so much, and I'm so sorry to explain this to you, but FTX is a cryptocurrency that had a very, very dramatic and very public bankruptcy scandal. I tried to not read it. I basically just gather it was a huge scam. Who could have seen this coming? And now the arena, I guess it just doesn't have a name because it doesn't have a sponsor. I guess they'll just call it like Miami Heat Arena or something like that. I'm telling you, they should call it Staples. Uh, They should call it Staples. Staples should swoop in. They should truly, truly swoop in. The other thing that is funny is I think before FTX bought the naming rights, when there was a bid for the naming rights, because I know the Heat Arena at one point in time was called the American Airlines Arena. They had the Mavericks Arena and also the Miami Heat Arena were named after American Airlines. One was the arena, one was the center. Mm -hmm. And Bang Bros, the um, interesting video uh, website, uh, put in a bid for $10 to name it the Bang Bros Center a.k.a. the BBC. Oh, my God. So I don't know if they're going to renew their bid, but... uh... It's (laughs) truly absurd. What I know about FTX is that the guy who runs it, he's now an acronym. I feel like when people refer to him, they call him... I don't even remember what the acronym is. Yeah, they do. Some sort of letters. Something BS, maybe? Maybe. You just already know that we're two years away from there being a documentary all about FTX. Like, (sighs) it has Netflix documentary written all over it. And uh, not since... You'll you'll get this in, in, as someone who lived in Houston... The Houston Astro Stadium used to be called Enron. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, some some things went down. For any younger listeners, you have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, but feel free to Google it. Yeah, we'll put a link to the Wikipedia article about it. But uh, let's just say this is up there in Enron territory. I think not as bad, but it's pretty bad. Is, has Jimmy Butler tried to swoop in and <gasps> rename Big it? Big Head for, Coffee. Exactly, yeah. Big Head Coffee Arena. That would be pretty cool. Genuinely, they should at least do that until they get a legitimate sponsor. That would be incredible press for the Miami Heat. Uh, incredible French press? Uh, <gasps> now, do they do they sell Big the Head Coffee? title. <laughs> <laughs> do they sell Big Head Coffee at the games? Is there a kiosk where you can pay $20 for a co- I mean, that does sound like what you would be charged to buy a coffee at a basketball game. Right. No, they should do that. That's a huge, great opportunity. Miami Heat, ring us up. We clearly have some ideas. I mean, they should do Big Head. That would be really good. Maybe Pitbull can buy it and it can just be the Mr. Worldwide Arena. Could be pretty good. And everything costs three oh five. That would actually be pretty affordable. $3.05 for everything. That'd be pretty good. Rick Ross could buy the naming rights. Uh, the Big Boss Arena. Oh, uh, come on. They could sell a bunch of pears. Oh, be so good. Everything could cost two twenty two. dollars Do you think anyone started the Rick Ross diet in, in 2023? Just a lot of pairs? <laughs> Someone. At least one person on Earth. I'm sure there are many people confused as to what we're talking about. So we will find the link and show you Rick Ross talking about his love of pears. Shout out to pears. Quote Rick Ross. So... That's uh, the first thing of news. Second, we'll put a link to this on the episode page at horsehoops.com, but Evisa Zubach, who's a center for the Los Angeles Clippers, he got trapped in a dance circle, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is always very fun. I believe I've talked about it on the podcast before, but once I went to a Warriors playoff game when I lived in Oakland and they were playing the Grizzlies and Tony Allen came out from halftime too early and accidentally walked through the dance performance of the Warriors kids dancers and the arena booed him for the rest of the game and at every time there were foul shots the jumbotron camera would zoom in on him and the entire arena would boo it's probably my favorite thing that's ever happened at a basketball game I was at amazing you know Zubots is actually on my fantasy team so very near and dear to my heart Ooh, I wonder if he got you any points for getting trapped in a dance circle and standing there very awkwardly you know I, I think we need a new metric because that should be worth something. Got to be worth something. And then final thing that I had that I just think is funny, Draymond Green last season said about the Orlando Magic, quote, no disrespect to the Orlando Magic, but that's one of the worst teams in the league, which feels incredibly disrespectful. And the Warriors recently lost to the Magic. So they are 0-3 since Draymond Green said that. I feel like across the NBA, we got to let people know that just because you say no disrespect to doesn't mean you get to say the meanest thing possible about anyone. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is the equivalent of the no offense, but it's like, just stop. Uh, I'm not racist, but nope, you're going to be racist. Just stop (laughs) talking. Stop talking. (laughs) Pretty rough. Pretty rough. But yeah, we'll have to see if that streak extends. But shout out to the Magic for putting Draymond Green's words back into his mouth and having him have a taste of his own medicine. Indeed. Finally, though, before we wrap it up, just give me... The people want to hear, how are you feeling about the Knicks? I feel pretty good about them. We had a really cool thing where we won eight games in a row, Mm -hmm. followed by a not cool thing where we lost five games in a row. I did not like that as much. Yeah. But... I think we've gone on a little streak. We won four in a row at one point. We're doing pretty well. I'm happy with them 
I'm enjoying seeing Emmanuel quickly play really well because I like him a lot. I'm enjoying seeing Quentin Grimes play really well because he went to the same high school as my wife. And every time he does something cool, I do their high school chant. <laughs> they went to a high school called College Park and their chant is, oh, CP. Oh, CP. So every time Quentin Grimes does something good, I say that. And I want to go to a Knicks game really badly and somehow get seats close enough if I shell out a jillion dollars. And if I do the high school chant close enough where Quentin Grimes can hear me, I feel like he will know the chant and respect me. So I'm going to try to do that. So their high school chant is not, we're all in this together. <sighs> I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. My goodness, how I wish that my wife went to East High. But no, I'm feeling good about him. And you have got to be feeling a little bit better about the Bulls seeing that since we last recorded, I was like, ha ha ha, the Bulls are bad. And now they're almost 500. Yeah, they're, I mean, that's, it's not anything to be celebrated, but they've definitely been playing better basketball. They went on a stretch where they, I think they won like seven out of 10 games and not to be salty about it, two of those three games they lost were games that the NBA literally released the two minute report, which is a recap of all of the calls right or wrong in the, in the last two minutes of a game. And they were like, sorry, we were wrong both times. Like it was two <laughs> games in a row against the Cavaliers, one of which, and I'm so glad we didn't talk about this, but now here we are talking about it. Uh, Donovan Mitchell scored 71 points against the Bulls. 71 points. That's a lot. Yeah, the Bulls have been playing better. They actually broke the Brooklyn Nets 12-game winning streak Pretty fun. last week by beating them. Then they went on the road and beat the 76ers, which was an impressive victory. Um, they were hanging in against a very good Celtics team the other night. So I do think that the Bulls have at least shown enough that they're not going to get blown up at the trade deadline. I'm hoping that's not the case. You could make the argument that that would be the smartest thing to do. Uh, DeRozan has a small injury, so I'm a little concerned about that, but hopefully he'll be okay. But right now, I believe if the season were to end, the Bulls and Knicks would both be in or near the play-in territory. So there is a, a world in which they would play each other, right? Currently, as it stands, the Knicks are the 7th seed, 22 and 19. The Bulls are the 10th seed, 19 and 22. We would play each other in the first round of the playing tournament, which would be so stressful, but so much fun. So spicy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it is still at least up for grabs, the part of the bet that involves who will have the better records. So I'm mm -hmm. going to have to go back and see what's at stake here, because if it's really just the planning at stake, that's not interesting. If it's if it's who pays at stake, then it becomes extra interesting. We can always switch it to be that. I think I'm perfectly fine with saying that the planning has been defaulted to you, and then it's just a question of, at this point, who pays. I think I agree that that would be higher intrigue. I mean, I feel like that's higher stakes is their actual record in the year. So I, all right, all right. Yeah. It has been agreed upon. Mm -hmm. The decree has been made. Decree has been made. Full Court Press can now conclude. And what's going to happen now is something that will be a change in horse going forward, which is before we get into that actually happened in round three, we're going to take a brief little break for some ads. They are locally inserted ads. So if you have been listening to Potterless or the New Olympian recently, same kind of stuff like that, we've brought horse over to a platform that allows for that. Some of the ads will be read by us. Others of them will not. The ones that aren't read by us are inserted locally. So it depends on your location. So if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in another language. And if you ever get a weird ad, we block out particular categories, but sometimes things sneak through like gun ranges pretend that they're not guns they say that they're sports which is very annoying if that stuff happens shoot an email to the horse gmail horsehoopspod at gmail.com and we will get it blocked but yeah you'll hear a couple of ads and then we will get into adam's three on three. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. So for my three on three, I alluded to this in a recent episode, and now it is time to make it happen. Shout out to Twitter user at Heath Stroganoff. I think that's like a beef Stroganoff reference. It is. That's pretty so great. good. AKA Yukon Cornelius. So already bonus points for me on the Claymation Rudolph reference. Mm -hmm. But back in November, Heath sent us a message that said, quote, hi, longtime listener, first time DMer. Great start. Since it's becoming something of a meme lately, have the horsemen considered doing a three-on-three -three with the best basketball and non-basketball lies LeBron has yes, told? Yes, and yes, quote, yes. Oh. yes, we can. Also, why aren't we calling ourselves horsemen? I feel like we always uh, go with horse boys, but horsemen, like the headless horsemen, that's kind of fun. That is pretty fun. We always have referred to ourselves as the horse boys, but the horsemen is kind of... Mm. Now that we're both in our 30s, I think maybe horsemen it is. We, we're no longer I boys. I want the same. But anyway, yes, that is exactly what is going to happen. Now, I modified it a bit to make it sports and non-sports related, but it's still pretty great. Uh, there might not be enough for a full five-on-five five here, so instead what I think I'm going to do is pick some of my favorite LeBron lying memes and share those on Patreon. Love that, love that. But before we begin, I want to stress that I am not a LeBron hater and that I do consider him to be one of the best basketball players who has ever lived, probably number two in my mind. We all know who number one is. But I also have to say, in his defense, I would probably be caught in a few lies if everything I had ever said since I was a teenager had been filmed and recorded. 
Having said that, the funniest thing about this trend is that LeBron always seems to lie about the most random stuff, and it's always in a situation where there's no real reason to lie and nothing to be gained by doing so. So let's get into it. Uh, would you rather hear the sports or non-sports related first? Let's go with sports first, and then we can end with non-sports because my that actually happened is quite sportsy. So we can get like a non-sports sandwich with sports bread. Right, a little, a little non-sports palate cleanser. I think that sounds good. Mm -hmm. All right, so at number three on the sports list, we have a LeBron James quote from 2009 that got everybody's hopes up only to let everyone down. During the 2009 All-Star Weekend in Phoenix, LeBron was sitting courtside during the dunk contest. And just for fun, any guesses, Shubes, on who won that year's dunk contest? 2009. <sighs> 2009. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the teams of the four participants. Okay. And you tell me who you think participated. All right. This is the toughest one. Portland. Who do you think participated from the Portland Trailblazers? In 09? An international player who I literally don't even associate with dunking. It's a really wild choice. An international Portland Trailblazer from 2009. I'm going to guess, was it Mabata Mute? It was not. I believe a Spanish player, if that helps. Hmm. I don't think I would know. Rudy Fernandez. Rudy Fernandez? Apparently was in the dunk contest. <laughs> He's a three-point shooter. I, what yeah, the that's heck? my point. Like it's, I don't, it's like Doug McDermott. Did he sign being, up for the three-point? contest and then like grab the wrong pinny number <laughs> yes i think it was a clerical error there's no there's no other explanation for it all right this one i think you'll get who is the participant from the orlando magic oh dwight howard yes who is the participant from the denver nuggets chris anders future nick that's a hint for you jr smith yeah Yep. Wow. And there okay. was actually a Knicks participant who I'm sure you'll know. That would be Nate the Great Robinson. Yes. Now, this was actually a pretty solid dunk contest that featured Dwight Howard, whose nickname was Superman, literally throwing the ball through the net with a Superman cape on that I believe he like went into a phone booth and changed into the cape. It was very theatrical, but very fun. It was unfortunately a very cool beginning to something that became very uncool, which was the prop era. It right. was a cool thing when he did it, and then it just got so bad over the next five to 10 years. I need the uh, handshake Twitter meme for like NBA dunk contest, comedy, handshake, no props. That's <laughs> yeah, my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yep, I agree, I agree. But then Nate Robinson, who did this like kryptonite thing where he came out in a green Knicks jersey and had a weird color ball or whatever, uh, he did that dunk. But then his final dunk, he jumped over Dwight Howard in the cape and dunked to win the contest, which I actually give Dwight Howard a lot of credit for being willing to be jumped over, knowing that if it worked, he would probably not win the contest. Also, like, it's kind of dangerous if you are a franchise player. I'm sure right. the Magic owner was watching that being like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. There's no way we're gonna... <laughs> let Nate Robinson jump over Dwight. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do recall that Nate Robinson won that one. And yeah, it was very much played up with the kryptonite. He's defeating Superman. I think Dwight Howard won the year prior. Yeah. Uh, I think when he did, was that the year he might have done the dunk where they raised the rim to 12 feet? Yeah. Or... That was, and that might have been the same dunk or a different dunk in the same contest where he jumped and like put a sticker really high on the backboard and then dunked it. That was a, yeah. Dwight was a very good dunk contest dunker. So yeah, it was, it was kind of like set up to where Nate was going to beat him. So I got to hand it to Dwight as well. He had to have known going into it, like Nate's probably going to win, but this will be fun. And it was fun. And that's the only thing I ever liked about the green Knicks jerseys, which I never enjoyed <laughs> when Nate Robinson used it as kryptonite. That was cool. But I hated that we had green uniforms because I hate Boston. Austin sports, so I hate the right. Celtics. And the Knicks having green ones, we wore them on St. Patrick's Day. I just ah, hated them, hated them. Yeah, it would be like the Cubs wearing red when their biggest rival is the Cardinals. It's like, it just, I, I don't want to see them in that color uniform. Exactly. But anyway, we'll post a link to that dunk contest. It's worth checking out. There's like a half hour YouTube video that has all the highlights. Anyway, LeBron was sitting courtside, and at one point, he does an interview with uh, Hoops legend Cheryl Miller, uh, Reggie Miller's oh, yeah. sister, or should I say, uh, Reggie Miller is Cheryl Miller's brother. I think that's probably a better way to say I'd it. Agree. I agree. Thousand percent. <laughs> she puts LeBron on the spot and asks him if he plans to participate in the dunk contest the following season. LeBron responds, and I quote, right now I'm preliminarily putting my name in the ring for the 2010 dunk contest. No. Kenny Smith and everybody else at the judges table gets really fired up. And you guessed it, LeBron never ended up doing the dunk contest in 2010 or any other year for that matter. Now, I put this one at number three because LeBron never officially said he would do it, but he still made it seem like he was when he easily could have just said something like, it would be a lot of fun, but I'm not ready to commit yet. We'll see. Or mm -hmm. if he knew he didn't want to do it, he could have just said like, I'll let my in-game dunks speak for themselves. Like something where you're still bragging, but saying that you're not going to do it. Either way, it would have been amazing to see prime LeBron in a dunk contest the same way we saw a young Michael Jordan 
or Vince Carter. But alas, that is why LeBron is not the GOAT. What do you want me to say? Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. It's very sad indeed. Yeah. At number two, we have an interview that LeBron did after buying a 2% stake in the Liverpool Football Club for $6.5 million back in 2011. Now, I don't know exactly what the channel is, but it's clearly a British news or sports channel of some sort. And they're interviewing LeBron, asking why he bought 2% of the team. He says, quote, I read about the franchise and how amazing it is. I actually made a trip over to Liverpool as well to see all the sites and the arena and everything. So it was pretty unique. End quote. <laughs> so it was pretty unique. Right. So calling a football pitch or stadium an arena, not great. Like it, it it's kind of like when people call it Wrigley Park or Wrigley Stadium instead of Wrigley Field. Like it just hurts my head. And yes, of course, that was a baseball reference. Ding, ding. Ding, ding, indeed. But the next part is where LeBron really digs himself deeper. So the female interviewer points to the guy next to her, Liverpool legend Peter Crouch. She asks if LeBron knew who it was. And rather than just admitting that he clearly had no idea, this is his response. Yeah, Crouch, he is actually a Liverpool legend. He used to play there. I don't know if you knew that. No, I knew that. I didn't get an opportunity to see him play when he was with the club, but I definitely knew I, I definitely knew that. Come on, just say you don't know who it is. To put this in basketball terms, this would be like if Lionel Messi bought a stake in the Chicago Bulls and then did an interview with an American channel where one of the interviewers was Scottie Pippen, but Messi had no idea who Scottie Pippen was. Like, it's that level of player. Yeah, it's rough. LeBron then further compounds the situation when they ask him about a recent game in which the team's captain scored a goal and LeBron, who definitely did not know any of this had happened, responds that he, quote, absolutely saw the clip, but wasn't able to see the game live, end quote. Again, this is a situation where it would have been totally fine to just admit that he was excited to learn more about a sport that he didn't know much about. No one would have given him shit for that, but he just can't help himself. And it's very confusing. Yeah, I mean, the real reason he bought a stake in the team is that he has been doing some investment type stuff with the ownership group of the Boston Red Sox, who also... I think owns either a majority stake or whatever of the Liverpool team. So I think he was just doing that because they did it. And I believe he wants to buy the Las Vegas NBA expansion team whenever that happens. Mm. And he wants to buy it with them. So I think it was just like a business thing to go along with this Boston sports group that he has done business with. It was a long time ago, though. Maybe that was the beginning of it or whatever, but I know he's got a tie with them and they own the team now. And they are in talks to sell the team so that they can buy the Vegas NBA team. Right. Regardless. Just why lie? This is like me in sixth grade when people asked if I saw a movie and I'd be like, oh, I think I saw bits of it on TV. Like, no, I didn't see Goodfellas. Why am I lying? I do this all the time when someone asks if I know a certain comedian and I have no idea who it is, but like, oh, the name sounds familiar. No, it doesn't. Why am I saying that? That at least I can understand because it's a professional courtesy because I definitely do that with podcasts where people are like, oh, my favorite podcast is this. I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard of it. Or I will do that when people are like, I like true crime podcasts. And then I don't want to be mean, but in my brain, I'm like, fuck true crime podcasts. And you're like, oh, I remember Serial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for this day, like, what do you, the only thing you have to lose here in LeBron is people knowing you're lying. It's way worse than if you're just like, yeah, dude, I don't know. Yeah, it's laughable. Finally, at number one, we have the moment that provided the screenshot that everyone memes anytime the subject of LeBron lying comes up. <laughs> Many years ago, LeBron did an interview where he was asked about Kobe Bryant's legendary performance in which he scored 81 points against the Toronto Raptors. LeBron claims in this interview that he was at home watching the game with some friends that night and that before the game even started, he told his friends that he thought Kobe would score at least 70 points. They thought he was crazy, but when Kobe got to 70, LeBron thought, well, he might as well go for 80. A few things here. I don't think LeBron was even watching this game live. The game took place on January 22nd, 2006. And to be fair, the Cavaliers, who LeBron was on at that time, they did have an off night. So I guess it is possible if there was Whoa. like some version of league pass at that time, I don't even know if that existed in 2006, honestly, and I don't think the game was on national TV. But it just doesn't make any sense that on a random January evening, LeBron would have a premonition about Kobe Bryant scoring 70 points, a feat that had literally only ever been done less than 10 times in all of NBA history, most of those by Wilt Chamberlain. It would be as absurd as me claiming a few weeks ago that I sat down to watch the Bulls-Cavs game and a little birdie told me that Donovan Mitchell was going to score 70 points. Like, no, they didn't. There's no way I would have thought that. And obviously, Donovan Mitchell is not Kobe, but... It's one thing if he was like, yeah, I thought he was going to go off and have, you know, 40 plus points that night. And then he doubled it and got 80 to claim that you think you were going to watch someone score 70 points, which is something that has happened one hundredth of one percent of the time in the NBA is just ridiculous. Uh, I don't believe it at all. And uh, that rounds out our sports section. And now we can uh, go ahead 
and get to the non-sports section. And do make sure you sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash horsehoops to see some of my favorite memes where people used a photo from this interview. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, let's hear the non-sports stuff because I'm sure that's even more bonkers. Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, so moving on to the non-sports section, let's start with LeBron's tendency to always only be reading the first page of a book. <laughs> uh, and look, I'm not I'm not shaming the guy. I don't read that much. Uh, I, I, I'm like one of those people where I read articles all the time, but I never actually read full books and I'm embarrassed by that. Books are, they're hard to focus on these days and you do in fact have to start with the first page. So I get it. It just seems like every time there's a photo of LeBron holding a book, he's just reading the... <laughs> he's just reading the like who it's dedicated to whatever you'd call it. Like, I don't think he even got to the dedication page it's the previous page where it just says like the publishing information where it's like copyright 2008 Disney Hyperion books Rick Riordan <laughs> oh my gosh so at number three on our list, we have LeBron's response to a reporter's question about the Malcolm X biography written by Alex Haley that LeBron was holding. The reporter asks him what his biggest takeaway is so far. And he just says, quote, I just started reading it a couple days ago, but I've read a lot of notes over the years and it's my first time actually reading it from start to finish, end quote. Now, LeBron could have stopped there and it would have been OK, but he's LeBron. So, of course, he does not. He goes on to speak in incredibly vague terms about the legacy of Malcolm X. And for this one, we definitely need the sound bite. Just a very, um, very smart man. Very, very, very smart man. And basically, um, his words in the, in the 60s and, uh, and what was going on is actually what's going on today still. John Oliver voice. Cool. It just reeks of kid who got called on in class who didn't do the reading. 100%. And didn't even read the spark notes. Right. At least had the decency to look Malcolm X up on Wikipedia. That's what's wild is like, if you are doing this purely for the publicity stunt to show that you are reading the book, at least have some sort of answer. You are doing this so that you get photographed with the book. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And that's yeah. fine. Put the message forward. More people should know about Malcolm X totally support you doing this. However, someone's going to ask you about it. So you've got to have some sort of response where you say, I enjoyed Malcolm X's stance on this. I enjoyed yeah. his quote about this. I like that he was fighting for this policy. Like you got to pick one thing right. and you know you're getting asked it once. So just have that in the brain ready to rock. And to your earlier comparison to not having done the reading at school, that is the cardinal rule of lying about having done the reading is you have to pick one very specific fact mm -hmm. that would somehow prove that you had done the reading but you also have to hope that someone doesn't raise their hand and refer to that exact thing before you because then you are <laughs> fucked. That is the worst Picking, feeling. Uh, piggybacking off of what Adam yeah, said. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> and just to circle back on... <laughs> All right, let's get to number two. So at number two, we have the recent lie that re-sparked this entire LeBron lying about things debate. On November 1st of last year, Takeoff, member of the rap group Migos, was shot and killed in Houston, tragically. When asked about it at a press conference, LeBron said that he was a huge fan of Migos and had been listening to them since 2010. He claims that in his first season in Miami, he would play Migos in the locker room and that, quote, his teammates had no idea what a Migos was, like cursing me out when I would play it, end quote, but that LeBron said, these guys are next. So the most, the most ridiculous part about this lie is that Migos didn't even release a mixtape until 2011. So according to LeBron, he either somehow knew about Migos before literally anyone else did, or he had his dates wrong. And that makes sense if it's the latter. That's harmless enough. But unless you're sure about a specific year, why reference it or be that specific? In any case, LeBron claims to be a real hipster when it comes to being a fan of Migos. So who knows? The problem with it more so than messing up the date, because I'll mess up dates or I'll mess up course, ages. Yeah. I'll say I was 12 when I was 14, stuff like that. Like, that's harmless. But the fact that it's specifically his first season with Miami, that is such an important, memorable year of his life where he was dragged through right. the mud for being in Miami and he was the villain and they got Migos off Migos got me through start. the hardest year of my life. <laughs> Like, it's such a specific, important year in your life. I don't remember every year of my life, but I definitely remember things that happened freshman year of college and senior year of college. Mm -hmm. Stuff that was sophomore, junior year, I'll get that flipped up. But I don't forget the big key moment years. Right. Finally, at number one, we have a truly wonderful exchange between LeBron and a reporter after game five of the 2016 NBA Finals. So LeBron, who notoriously goes dark on social media during the playoffs, had told ESPN reporter Chris Broussard that he had grown very attached to the film The Godfather and had watched it six times since the playoffs had begun. So a reporter asks him to name, and I quote, 
the scene or the moment or the phrase or the quote, end quote, <laughs> that he likes most from the movie, and he could not answer anything. So he instead ends up sounding like Sarah Palin when she was asked about which newspapers she read. Oh. And I have the clip because it's just too good not to play. I mean, specifically, I'm curious that you... Um, all of them, any of them that um, have, have been in front of me over all these years. So LeBron responds, quote, so many different phrases, too many different lines in that movie to categorize just one, end quote. Uh, again, so many ways he could have answered this, and instead he just ends up sounding like he's never seen The Godfather. But then again, I, I tend to think that nine out of every ten frat boys with a Scarface poster on their dorm room wall have never actually seen Scarface. So, you know, I, I think that might be where we're at. The problem with this is there's so many quotes from The Godfather trilogy let alone the first movie that have permeated pop culture. How do you not know either make him an offer he can't refuse or leave the gun, take the cannolis? And I believe he had referenced the whole trilogy. So he could have even done the like, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. And that's from the worst one. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a terrible one. What would have been really legendary if LeBron's response to this reporter had been, so you come to me asking a favor on the day of game five of the NBA finals? That would have been pretty great. That's and what's weird about it is if you're going to say you've watched it six times? Six, six times. times? How little did you six retain? Six times. <laughs> six times? Did he watch it six times because he just wasn't listening the first five? And maybe to his credit, he could have said, you know, it's really hard to understand Vito Corleone. Sure. <laughs> I can't really understand what Marlon Brando is saying. Well, no, actually what he ends up saying is, Come on, man. The, the, it's nine hours long. You want me to remember a quote? Yes. You have nine hours yes, of things to yes, choose from. You, that you, makes it worse. <laughs> it's like saying you don't remember any of the Lord of the Rings. You watched it for four days. You don't remember a single thing that happened? And the correct answer to Lord of the Rings would be when Aragorn sexily opens the doors. Come on. That's the best part in the franchise. Gosh. I've never seen Lord of the Rings. I'm so sorry. They're good stuff. I won't tell Kelly so that she won't disown you and make you not her favorite stand-up comedian of all time. <laughs> but it's good. That is one of my favorite parts. My other favorite part, there's a point where Legolas rides his shield down a set of stairs like a skateboard because Ooh. the movie came out in the mid-2000s in the second movie. And it's just so good. And I always imagine the intro of Superman, the song that was on the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 soundtrack, the when he's going down the stairs, cinema. So here I am, getting older all the time. That's the song, right? Mm-hmm, great song. Oh, yeah. And then Legolas is just, you know, bow and arrowing folks to that. And that's how I envision it. Amazing. All right. Well, that's my three on three. Let's go ahead and move on to your That Actually Happened. Yeah, so my That Actually Happened is going to be a fun dip into history. I feel like I haven't done a big history recap thing in quite some time, so I'm very excited to do this. Now, when we talk about the NBA and the CBA, which was on my mind recently because there's talks of the NBA's CBA, or Collective Bargaining Agreement, it expires during this season, so they either need to extend it or come up with new terms. And we've talked about this with the Tipping Pitches guys in an episode prior where we talked about just labor movements and stuff like that. Now, there is this CBA for the NBA, but are you familiar with the other CBA, Adam? The Continental Basketball Association? I am because I am old. And okay. I remember the CBA because it kind of was the predecessor to the G League. Yeah. So I just did a big deep dive on the CBA, and I'm excited to talk about the Continental Basketball Association. Exactly. I mean, your boy John Stark spent some time in the CBA. He did indeed. And that's honestly where I added this to my list of things to potentially talk about in a horse episode was when I was reading Chris Herring's book, the Blood in the Garden book that we have both read. I was like, oh, doing something on the CBA would be fun. So here we are. This is literally years in the making. So the Continental Basketball Association was founded in 1946 in April, and it was originally called the Eastern Pennsylvania Basketball League. It billed itself as the world's oldest professional basketball league because it was founded two months prior to the NBA. <laughs> uh, the, the EPBL is an acronym that really rolls right off the tongue, huh? It's so smooth, so smooth. They had six teams originally, five of which were in Pennsylvania. So they had a team in Wilkes Bar, in Hazleton, in Allentown, in Lancaster, and in Reading. And then they had a team in Birmingham, New York, which later moved to Pottsville, Pennsylvania. And all teams were in Pennsylvania. As someone that lived in Jersey and went to these small towns in Pennsylvania to play travel baseball games, just wild for me to read some of these cities that are like, oh my gosh, they have a professional sports franchise in Allentown. It is. It is ridiculous. And and look, I I don't want to sit here mansplaining to you about Pennsylvania city pronunciations, but I do believe it is Wilkesbury. Oh, really? Which I mean, 
frankly, you should know that's the home of the AAA Yankees. I mean, I do know that, but I've just never heard it said before. Yeah, it's it looks like it should because it's spelled B A R R E, like a bar class, like the you right. know, classes that people take. But for some reason, people do call it Wilkesbury. I think it's one of those things where almost like Pennsylvania Dutch, how it's supposed to be Deutsch. Like mm. it's just people mispronouncing it, and they've done it for so long that it's become how people say it. But it shouldn't. Be, like that nothing about that looks like it would be Barry. Yeah, okay, good to know. Look how much I'm learning. In 1948, they renamed to the Eastern Professional Basketball League because they went out of Pennsylvania. Very crafty way of getting outside of Pennsylvania but keeping the same acronym. They would go on to add teams in Williamsport, Scranton, and Sunbury, and then also outside of Pennsylvania, they added three New Jersey teams, Trenton, Camden, and Asbury Park, Three teams in Connecticut, New Haven, Hartford, and Bridgeport, a team in Wilmington, Delaware, and a team in Springfield, Massachusetts. I mean, Springfield, Massachusetts, of course, home of the NBA Hall of Fame. So perfect place for a team. We gotta go. We keep talking about making a pilgrimage out there with our buddy Chris Chan. We gotta do it. We should do that. Well, once you're back in in New York full-time, we'll do that. Yeah, that would be a blast. So from the 40s through the 60s, many NBA teams, unfortunately, had unofficial quotas for the number of black players that could be on their team. So a lot of Players would join other leagues, including the EBPL, so that they could play because NBA teams would be like, oh, we already have too many of your kind on the team, so they wouldn't let them play. And the EBPL was apparently very fast-paced, physical. They played in really tiny, cramped gyms because they were in these not-as-major metropolitan areas. So it kind of served initially as like this unofficial minor league-slash-feeder league into the NBA and the ABA. Now, because of that, was it predominantly black? Like, did it kind of function the way the Negro Leagues did in baseball? It didn't say in the research that I found what the overall percentage was. It was just that a lot of the better players in the league were black players who deserved to be in the NBA, but would weren't allowed to play in the NBA because of these unofficial, unwritten rules quotas. Hmm. So the ABA was chugging along in the 60s, and they instituted the three-point line famously in 1961. So then in 1964, the Eastern League added a three-point line as well. And this is notable because the NBA didn't adopt the three-point line until 1979. So it really took them a long time to get on board. Wow. So going on in the CBA's history, for the 1970-1971 season, they rebranded themselves as the Eastern Basketball Association, and then they really ramped up their feeder system nature to the NBA and the ABA became much more a common practice for players to play on these teams and then eventually almost get called up, even though there's no official link to NBA or ABA teams. In 1977, as part of a publicity stunt that did work because they got a lot of coverage, they introduced a team from Alaska into the league, the Anchorage Northern Knights, which is a really fun pun on the Northern Lights. They brought them into the league just as kind of like a, whoa, this team that's mostly in the East Coast of the U.S. has an Alaska team, and that's exactly what they did, and that worked. There you go. I'm sure travel was super fun, and all the players were very happy about it. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Now here's where things get really fun. In 1978, the league was rebranded again, this time being called the Continental Basketball Association, which they kept until the end of their run, and they expanded across the entire country. They had a new commissioner, Commissioner Drucker, and they expanded from eight teams to 14 teams. They had some national TV contracts, and franchise values increased from 5,000 to 500,000, so the teams became kind of legit. They then began to institute some rule changes, such as a sudden death overtime, no fouling out, and a unique way in how the standings were determined called the seven-point system. So seven points worth of standings were awarded each game. If you won the game, you would get three points, and for each quarter that you won, you would get a point. So a winning team could get between four and seven points in the standings. So it's kind of like NHL where you have different points or even soccer leagues where you get three points for a win, one point for a draw. So you could win a game, but then lose some quarters and the other team would get points in the standings. And what this basically did was it meant no blowout was ever a game not worth watching till the end because even if you're losing by 50 points overall at the end of two quarters, you could still perform better than the other team in the third quarter and get a standing point and then do it again in the fourth quarter and get another standing point, even if you still ended up losing by like 30 points. I actually kind of love that. It reminds me a little bit of the new format for the NBA All-Star game where it's like each team can win a quarter and then whoever wins gets to 
donate money to their charity or something like that. I think it's very cool. And they kept that rule intact for standings until the league folded in 2009. Spoiler alert. Now, in the 80s, things get very 80s because everybody was on cocaine. So the CBA created a series of halftime promotions. Actually, the C and CBA changed what it said <laughs> They rebranded to the Cocaine Basketball Association. <laughs> the most successful of these halftime promotions was called the $1 million CBA Super Shot. The Super Shot offered a grand prize of a million dollars if a randomly selected fan could hit a shot, not from half court, but from the opposite free throw line. So a three-quarter court shot, which is a total of 69.75 feet. Nice. No one ever won. <laughs> have you ever hit a shot from the other foul line? I have not. The only thing I've ever seen with that is when the Harlem Globetrotters would come to my middle school and play that joke where they would have someone at the oh, free throw yeah, line yeah, and yeah. say, oh, he's good, and then flip him around. I've never shot one from that far or made it. Have you? I have. Whoa. If I'm being honest, I think I probably like cheated up to like the other three-point line. Sure. But there was a time where the middle school gym door just was open like at night. It's a real security risk, actually, in retrospect. But I would go over there and we would play, uh, like pick up basketball games. And there was a time at which we played a series of games of knockout, which usually is played from the free throw line or the three point line. But then it just got increasingly ridiculous where we were like, let's play half court knockout. And then at one point we played three quarter court knockout. <laughs> Which is absurd because most people can't even reach the basket. Even to hit any part of the basket would be kind of an accomplishment mm -hmm. from that far. But uh, yeah, I do believe I one time in my life hit a shot from the the other free throw line. That is very cool. You could have won a million dollars if you did it under the right circumstances. I wish I had. In 1985, they followed this up with the ton of money free throw. Terrible name. Well, <laughs> they did it because they had 2,000 pounds of pennies. Great Which name. totaled to $5,000 <laughs> if a randomly selected fan could make just one free throw. Two out of 14 contestants were successful. And if they actually had to leave with the pennies, if it wasn't just a prop, that's ridiculous. That's a punishment. That's yeah, truly that's a punishment. Absurd. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. How many free throws did they get to shoot? I think they would just go and shoot one. And if you made the free throw, you got the $5,000. And Only they did two this... out of 14 people made a free throw? Yeah. I mean, I guess like if you're nervous and you don't actually shoot free throws and you only get one shot at it, yeah. But that is pretty disappointing numbers. Yeah, that's bad. Mm -hmm. Who do they think they are? Andre Drummond? Whoa! <laughs> the next year, they introduced the easy street shootout. In that shootout, they had 14 contestants, one from each CBA city where there was a team. They would then each shoot a shot, and whoever made the longest shot won a $1 million zero-coupon bond. And oh. I don't know enough about zero-coupon bonds to know if that really aged well. The name's Bond. Zero-coupon bond. <laughs> I believe back in the 80s, if you did get a zero-coupon bond, today it'd be worth a lot of money. So I think that's actually fantastic. And maybe it really was. I'll have to reach out to the winner of this, which was Don Mattingly, no relation to the New York Yankees baseball player. <laughs> Oh my gosh, can I tell you something ridiculous that that just made me think of? Sure, sure, sure. My girlfriend Celia recently became friends with, uh, I don't want to call her, she, an, an older woman, let's just say that. Sure. Uh, someone that she just randomly met at a, at a bar on the Upper West Side. They got to talking. They've become friendly. Now they're playing Mahjong together. It's all a great time. Amazing. But this woman is uh, dating a man named Joe DiMaggio. Oh. So we went out to eat with them, and inevitably I'm a baseball fan, so I started saying like, oh, I'm sure people must always say something about your name being Joe DiMaggio. He's like, well, they do, but also the real Joe DiMaggio is actually my cousin. And I was like, <gasps> I'm sorry, what? Whoa. So this Joe DiMaggio is related to that Joe DiMaggio. So there you go. That is very cool. Mm -hmm. Good for him. Shout out to the Yankees. Love this baseball reference. Absolutely. So that was the easy street challenge? That was the easy street shootout. I think they just did it once. Okay. It seems like they might have done it at an all-star game or something because in 1985, they did another all-star game promotion. They did this thing that sounds so cool. They invited fans to make paper airplanes from the centerfold of the game programs, each which had a unique serial number. And then they took a Ford Thunderbird, opened the moon roof, and then had everyone throw their paper airplanes in. Four paper airplanes were successful, so they had to do some sort of tiebreaker, which Wikipedia did not explain. I want to know exactly what the tiebreaker is, but that is very cool. And it reminds me of, did you ever go to a Trenton Titans hockey game when you were in Jersey? I did once, yes. Were you ever there for Chuck-a-Puck night? Uh, no, but tell me more. Chuck-a-Puck night was a 50-50 raffle where, you know, 50 50% of the money goes either towards a team or towards a charity, and then 50% goes to one lucky winner. And it was a dollar 
per puck. So chuck a puck, a buck a puck, and you would get these orange foam hockey pucks, each with, you know, a number written on it. And you'd buy as many as you want. And then in between the second and the third period, they would put a helmet in center ice and then have everyone throw the pucks onto the ice. And then any pucks that made it into the helmet won the prize. And usually it would just be one, and then that person would win. But I just remember being at those games and just seeing the sea of orange rubber pucks descending like the arrows from 300. Oh, so good. It's so good. That's so fun. I remember there being something similar at the Somerset Patriots games, which actually now I think is a Yankees affiliate, but at the time it was like an independent league baseball team where they would put like a, you know, trash can or something like that in the middle of the field and you could try to throw a baseball mm-hmm. into it but yeah that's super fun i do wonder about this paper airplane challenge if there were any uh paper cut or uh you know anyone i hope's eyes was, yeah, yeah poked out poked eyes eye injury yeah i'll have to find out i'm gonna have to reach out to the people in charge of the league because that's amazing so the CBA continues. They were on TV. They had two taped delay seasons on BET of all channels. Sick. And then eventually they moved to ESPN with 13 games televised live. Nothing like watching non-live CBA <laughs> games. I mean, what a draw. <laughs> Honestly, look, depending on when it came out, if I was a little bit older, I could see myself having a sleepover party at my friend's house and be like, oh, the CBA game is on at 2 a.m. on BET. <laughs> Amazing. Now, in August of 1999, the CBA's teams were purchased by an investment group led by former NBA star Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas is also a terrible person known for ruining many things, such as the New York Knicks, the New York Liberty, and also the CBA. I found an entire article that detailed why Isaiah Thomas ruined the CBA and ultimately led to its bankruptcy in 2001. So he caused them to file Chapter 11. Didn't he wear Number 11? (gasps) Conspiracy? (laughs) (laughs) So Isaiah Thomas bought it for $10 million in 1999, and things went downhill Quite soon after, two weeks after becoming the owner of the league, he cut player salaries by nearly a third in an effort to make the CBA a younger league, which would appeal to the NBA as its feeder system. I don't know how paying people less makes it a younger league. I have no understanding of what that does. So the players hate this dude. Then the next March, six months after he's purchased the team, he is offered by the NBA a million dollars and a percentage of profits to buy the CBA. And then the NBA would take over the league. Isaiah Thomas initially turns down this offer, but three months later, he's offered the head coaching position for the Indiana Pacers. But there is a catch. NBA rules do not allow a coach from owning his own league and coaching, since that would be an unfair advantage in terms of player acquisition. So Isaiah Thomas then signs a letter of intent to sell the CBA to the NBA Players Union. So the owners in the CBA now don't like him. Now the NBA, one month after this, announces that after 20 years, it does not plan on retaining the CBA as its official minor league after the 2001 season. So I guess in the 80s, somehow it did become the official minor league. They say that after the 2001 season, they're going to start their own minor league, the NBA DL, Development League, so the D-League, And then, because there is no NBA affiliation anymore, the league is just worthless and no one wants to buy the league, so the owners are very upset at Isaiah Thomas, but he doesn't care. He, in October of that year, signs the league into a blind trust, which basically means that the CBA can't pay for anything because it has no way of seeing the books or knowing about the financial status of the league or what the numbers are, and then in that same month, Isaiah Thomas accepts the Pacers' head coaching job because now there's no official tie, so he can take the job. And three months later, the CBA files for bankruptcy. What the hell? (laughs) So he just made the worst possible decisions in the span of a year and a half, basically. (sighs) What an ass. So then, because the league has filed for bankruptcy, in the fall of 2001, the CBA and the IBL, the International Basketball League, which did have a team that I went to some games. Did you ever go to a Trenton Shooting Stars game? No, I did not. They were around from 1999 to 2001 during this era when the CBA was failing. And I went to like two games with Josh Pacifico and our parents. And it was just like an independent team where ticket prices were cheap and... I'm sure it was still fine. We didn't really care. We got we went to a basketball game. Yeah, I was going to say, how was the quality of play? I'm sure it 
was fine, you know, probably like going to a college game, I guess. Right. So they merged with the CBA and the International Basketball Association. They all together buy the assets of the bankrupt and defunct CBA, including its name, logo, and records from the bankruptcy trustee, and they resume operations as the CBA, and they get to assume all of their identity and history and everything. So they basically restart the league, and the league had eight new franchises so that they had 10 total teams in 2006. One of the teams... I am not kidding, is called the Atlanta Crunk Wolverines. So just a Wolverine who's who's crunk. Right. The team originally under the IBL or the IBA, I forget which one, they were the Charlotte Crunk. And I've already tweeted a picture of their logo and we'll put it up on the episode page of horsehoops.com. It is an absurd logo. It is a boombox dunking a basketball. And yes, it's crunk like that crunk. Mm. And it's the Charlotte crunk. Then they were moving over to Atlanta. So they're going to be the Atlanta crunk. But then they played in the gymnasium of some college who were the Wolverines. So they decided for one season to be the Atlanta crunk Wolverines. And then they reverted to be the Atlanta crunk. The Atlanta crunk. What, did Lil John have any ownership stake? I mean, the team started in 2005. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, <laughs> it's just a product of the era. I mean, just, I, I, it's, it's a lot for me to process that information right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a hard time with knowing that the Atlanta crunk, I, I heard that the Atlanta crunk, actually, there were issues with some of the equipment because uh, there was always a lot of sweat dripping down those balls. <laughs> They didn't drink out of Gatorade bottles. They all had goblets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, there was fun for all from the uh, windows to the walls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Too many episode titles to choose from. <laughs> the other team names included the Oklahoma Cavalry. Sure. The Rio Grande Valley Silverados. Hmm. The East Kentucky Miners. Oh, my God. I'm so stupid. What? I... <laughs> I heard that as like M-I-N-O-R-S, which is oh, like no. wildly inappropriate. <laughs> nope, other miners. People who mine. Yes, People miners. who mine. And the Vancouver Dragons. Okay. They had, you know, a couple seasons in 2006, 2007. In the 2008-2009 season, there were only four teams. There were supposed to be five. That team that folded was the Pittsburgh Explosion. And yes, that is Explosion with no E at the front. So it's the Pittsburgh Explosion. What does Pittsburgh have to do with explosions? I don't they, know. they should be the miners. That's like coal <laughs> country. But according to Wikipedia, the Pittsburgh explosion folded under unclear circumstances. Dun, dun, dun. Talk dun, about dun, a true dun. crime podcast. That I would we listen get to the, bottom to the of this. shit out of that. Are you kidding me? My goodness. Only Pittsburgh explosions in the building. Now, apparently the ABA had rebranded and been another different independent league in the late 2000s. So the teams from the CBA were scheduled to play against some other ABA teams for the first month of the season, but it just didn't end up working. So on February 2nd, 2000, the league announced that it had to halt operations and they turned just a scheduled regular season game between the Albany Patroons and the Lawton Fort Sill Cavalry. I have no idea where <laughs> Lawton Fort is or if it's Lawton Fort Sill or it's the Sill Cow. Couldn't. Pff, no idea. Let me quick Google. It's uh, apparently in. Oh, so it's just uh, more specific of Oklahoma. They are in Lawton, Oklahoma. So they are the Lawton Fort Sill Cavalry. They played in Lawton, Oklahoma. I don't know what a Sill Cavalry is. Couldn't tell you. Anyway, they had a regular season game scheduled and the league just said, this is the league championship game. <laughs> that was the last game and that ended it and the CBA folded in 2009. Who won? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Let me see if I could click about it. Okay, here's so here's an article from Mark McGuire. I'm assuming a different Mark McGuire, written in 2000. Any relation to Don Mattingly? <laughs> 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 no, but his cousin is Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, uh, right. This article says the financially troubled CBA, which played an interleague schedule earlier in the season because it could only field three teams, oh, no. announced Monday it's abandoning the rest of the regular season after Tuesday night. Quote, due to the ever-increasing problems with the economy. Oh, yeah, blame it on the economy. It was the made CBA up. Has decided, made up. <laughs> the CBA has... Where was this scene in the big short? The CBA has decided to abbreviate the remainder of the regular season. CBA Commissioner Dennis Truax said in a statement, the league will play a finals later this week between the 
the Albany Patroons and the Lawton Fort Sill Cavalry to determine a league champion. The Cavalry already were in town to play two regular season games against the Patroons at Washington so Avenue said, hey, Armory. Just stick around. <laughs> just stick around. This is the best course of action for the CBA to take at this time, Truax said. The economy has affected us all, and we are now directly seeing the fallout from that. We will be holding an owner's meeting during the finals as we look to restructure the CBA and come back next season stronger than ever. Uh-oh. The CBA finals will be Thursday, Saturday, and if necessary, Sunday. So they were playing best two out of three. You know why that's bullshit? You know why that's a bullshit excuse about the economy? Uh-huh. When the economy is bad, minor league baseball does better because it becomes something that's actually affordable for families to go to when they don't have a lot of money because you can take your family of four to a Trenton Thunder game or Somerset Patriots game for like 50 bucks. Whereas if you want to go to a Yankees game, it costs hundreds of dollars. So I dismiss that claim. Let's, I am here for it. I did find an article saying that the Cavalry won the first game, but I'm having a tough time seeing this could not matter any less but i'm no, but so interested. So, i'm so invested oh my god there's a whole page <laughs> on insidehoops.com cba championship i'm going to save this link so we can put it on the episode page was that written by someone named babe ruth no relation <laughs> <laughs> let's see um oh my god apparently it went to overtime of course it did let's let me just see for the first time in 16 years the deciding game of the cba championship went into overtime oh so it was tied it went to the rubber match okay we're gonna read the whole article it doesn't say who wrote this how does inside hoops not credit their authors what the hell for the first time in 16 years the deciding game of the cba championship went into overtime with the reigning champion law fort <laughs> lawton fort sale cavalry repeating as cba champion with a 109 107 victory for his efforts sean daniels was named cba finals most valuable player wow wow in the overtime, it was Albert White time as he scored six of the Cavalry's eight points in overtime. The Cavalry jumped out to a four-point lead, but the Patroons battled back and had the ball with almost eight seconds left in the game. Sean Fountain, which is a great name, Sean Fountain drove down the lane and kicked it out to Harvey Thomas, who took a three-pointer that rattled out, and the Cavalry won their second consecutive championship. These are some Ken Griffey Jr. baseball-ass <laughs> names. None of these sound like real names. We, we're going to have on, on horsehoops.com, we're going to make sure to say it's the right time for white time and if you know you know <laughs> oh my god and then uh uh this is also like the japanese baseball game where it was like todd Gonzalez, like those sorts of names <laughs> cba commissioner dennis truax said it was a great way to end the season both teams had an opportunity to win the championship and that's all you can ask for in a deciding game congratulations go out to the lawton fort sill cavalry their players and staff for their second championship in as many years and to the patroons organization for a fine showing all season long what a ride and that is the history of the CBA. That actually happened. Now back to the CBA on BET. <laughs> I, I just like to picture they're just playing round ball rock, but in minor. <laughs> Ooh. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor for this episode is Mike Schubert. The social media is by both of the Horse Boys or the Horsemen. Ooh. The website is by Kelly Beckman Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campomanes and the art is by Alison Wakeman. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Mikhail Loves Allison, Denver Steamed Nuggets, Anna Borjaley, Weird Questions, Steph Back, Curry for three. Bang. Oh, he stepped back as he said back. <laughs> Lobster Bisquay, Hi Trish, Ginger Spurs Boy, Nicole Arsenals. Something mean about the Knicks, Stubby Boardman Gets Paid, and Chase Underulo. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops lied about reading books and seeing movies and listening to music and predicting basketball outcomes. They're just lying all over the place and they got shut down. Just be honest, Horse Hoops, just be honest. That's all we ask. But you can go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to some of the fun stuff we talked about today, including LeBron lying about things, the dunk contest, some CBA content, uh, Zubots getting stuck in a dance circle, and much, much more. Mm -hmm. And if you want to support the show, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash horsehoops, where you can see written stuff like five on fives. You can get physical things like stickers and jerseys. You can get digital content like bonus audio, lots of good stuff there. There's video stuff as well. If you want to see our faces for once, all that is at patreon.com slash horsehoops. You can also buy merch at horsehoops.com slash merch. We got shirts. We got digital stuff. Lots of goodies over there. But we're going to close out this episode by saying something on the count of three. Feeling anything in particular, Adam? Hmm. What do you got? I think in honor of the Atlanta Crunk slash Charlotte Crunk slash Atlanta Crunk Wolverines, we could say get crunk on three, which I'm assuming they would say when they would break up their team huddles. I mean, how could they not? Let's go for it. All right. Get crunk on three. One, two, three. Get, get crunk.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 